Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Rebecca Jarvis, the host of the Dropout Podcast and ABC News Chief Business, Technology, and Economics Correspondent. Rebecca is joining us today to discuss what to expect in the upcoming criminal trial of former Theranos founder and CEO Elizabeth Holmes. The trial begins Tuesday, August 31 in the Northern District of California. If you're not familiar with the rise and fall of Theranos and the rise and fall of Elizabeth Holmes, go ahead and check out Rebecca's podcast, which does a great job covering the story. Rebecca will be adding new episodes while she's covering the progress of the Elizabeth Holmes trial. Rebecca, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you, Andrew. I'm thrilled to be here. I love your work. Well, thank you so much. And I'm a huge fan of The Dropout and we'll be excited to see the Hulu adaptation of the (laughs) podcast when that comes out. Now, Rebecca, Elizabeth Holmes, of course, is going on trial probably tomorrow based on when I'm, I'm publishing this episode. What's the scope of the charges that she's facing? And is she the only person facing some criminal liability here? It's a really important question. First of all, the one about is she the only one? Because initially, she and Sonny Belwani, her former boyfriend and COO of the company were charged together with 11 counts of criminal fraud by the Department of Justice. There are now 12 counts that she's facing, but the bigger issue is that her case has been severed from Sonny Belwani's. And what makes that interesting is really this idea that when you're in a case with another person, a co-defendant, it's really hard to turn that trial in a way where you point the finger at the other one. But when you have your cases severed, as Sonny and Elizabeth now do, it's a much more likely path that the two can go down and say, Elizabeth can say, Sonny is somehow implicated in this. He made this happen in a way that I didn't. Sonny can also point the finger back at Elizabeth if he chooses to do that. Now, I've spoken with Sonny's attorneys. I spoke to them. You may remember in the original Dropout podcast, there was an episode where I sat down with Sonny's attorney, Jeffrey Coopersmith, and I asked him point blank in multiple ways, does Sonny blame Elizabeth for this on any level? Was he duped by her? Did she trick him into this? Absolutely not. The way that this case is shaping up based on the court filings is that Elizabeth's attorneys may, and it it still is a may, but they may try and point the finger back at Sonny. And there are a handful of pieces of evidence that suggest that could come. One in particular is the filings around Elizabeth's mental well-being during the time, during the years that she was running Theranos. And there's an expert, an independent expert that the defense has filed to call as a witness. Her expertise is in psychological trauma. And there's this big question, and I've spoken to a number of legal experts about whether or not that may be a plan to point the finger back at Sonny, to suggest that he was about 20 years her senior. He had the experience. He came from this background where he had worked before. She came from a background where she was a college dropout. What was his influence over Elizabeth at the time? I think that's a key question. And it's one that everything that we've seen over the last three years since she was charged by the Department of Justice indicates that there's a relatively high probability that her team may go down that path. 
she's facing a number of charges at this point. It sounds like she has maybe some defenses lined up, and I'd love to talk about her overall defense strategy as best you can see in just a moment. But this isn't the first time that the federal government has gone after Elizabeth, has gone after Theranos. The Securities and Exchange Commission brought a case a number of years ago. Could you talk about that case and how it's similar or how it's different from the case that we have right now? Is it the same types of claims that the government is bringing or is the criminal case a little bit different? There are a lot of similarities. And for people also who either haven't or have listened to the original dropout, one of the key pieces, the key elements that we put forward and were the first to do so were the deposition tapes. Sonny, Elizabeth, a number of her board members, the people like Henry Kissinger and George Schultz, who were these high-profile board members that she attracted to her board, high-profile investors. So the SEC charges against her, it brought up a lot of these same issues, the defrauding of investors. Now, I think one thing that's really important that is, is going to be from the legal experts I've spoken to, one of the higher hurdles in terms of the criminal case is that it's not just a multi-million dollar scheme to defraud investors that she's accused of. She's also accused of this separate scheme to defraud doctors and patients. And one of the issues with that is that if you go down this path, and her defense has indicated they might go down this path of a puffery defense, this idea that Silicon Valley is this place where you fake it till you make it, that might work when you're talking about the multi-million dollar scheme to defraud investors. That might work with investors. That is a much more complicated trail when it comes to doctors and patients that put their faith and trust in your product, believed that it worked, and then turned out to get their tests voided, told that they were inaccurate. And there are so many individuals who I've spoken to over the years who received these inaccurate tests. The prosecution, the government plans to put at least 11 people who received this inaccurate information on the stand to testify at this trial. The unfortunate side effect is that there was this database. And for anybody who's followed this closely, you've probably heard about this missing database. There was a database with three years of data, millions of customer patient test results. That database was destroyed. And it was destroyed when Theranos dissolved when Theranos fully went out of business. Now, there's this key question of whether or not that was on purpose, because obviously this database, having all of these results would have been incredibly useful to the government's case to be able to say a high percentage of these results were inaccurate. Well, now that that database no longer exists, it makes it a lot harder for the government to say these 11 people who we're putting in front of you on the stand are emblematic of millions of other people who also got bad test results. In any criminal trial, there are three characters who are really at the center of the action and the day-to-day of the trial, the judge, the prosecutors, and the defense counsel. Could you tell us anything about just who the judge and the prosecutors, defense lawyers are in this case? Do you have anything about their backgrounds that you can share? And do you think those backgrounds maybe uh, provide some indications about what we should expect in this trial? Sure. They're all top-notch, all of these players across the board. The judge, Edward J. Davila, he was appointed about a decade ago under President Obama. 
up to this date, we have a very good idea about Judge Davila and how he's going to rule in the case based on how he's been ruling at a number of status hearings, trials that have happened in advance of the big trial. And it looks like he's been trying to give a little bit of something to each side. So, for example, there's this question of whether or not the prosecution can talk about Elizabeth's five-star lifestyle. Can they put that on display? It would be key to the government's case to show that Elizabeth, she might not have cashed out of her Theranos share. She never did, but she certainly enriched herself along the way. Key to the government's case is being able to explore and expose that lifestyle. The defense fought that very hard. They didn't want any of that coming into play. Ultimately, what Judge Davila decided is, okay, government, you can put that on display, but you can't show labels. You can't tell us if she stayed at the Waldorf or bought Gucci, but you can tell us she stayed at a luxury hotel and got herself a luxury handbag. So he's been very even-handed, according to all of the legal experts I've spoken to leading up to this, very even-handed with his decision-making such that he gives both sides something in the decision-making. The prosecutors are top-notch. They've been around. They've prosecuted white-collar cases multiple times in the past. And then you have Elizabeth's defense, which is, by all accounts, the top defense money can buy. The estimates for the people that I've spoken to for how much a defense like what she's got would cost is in the eight figures, multiple millions of dollars worth of defense. It's a team of 10, nine people from Williams and Connolly. Her lead attorney is Kevin Downey, which if you've seen any of the coverage of Theranos, of her walking in and out of the courthouse in San Jose, you see this man at her side. He's got uh, uh, salt and pepper hair, blue eyes. That's Kevin Downey, her lead attorney. His back background is Harvard Law Review. He's defended white-collar criminals, accused criminals, for years and years of his career, including the defense of the Fannie Mae CEO who's accused of fraud in 2004. So he has a stellar, seamless background in this world, and her team has been hard at work. We know, I talked about the decisions that Judge Davila has already made. This is a team that's filed dozens of motions over the last handful of years. And when you think about what the the defense might shape up to look like, it really shows that this is a defense that is prepared to go in many different directions. They have picked battles in many cases on lots of minutia from text messages to email exchanges that Elizabeth made with people in the office as well as with Sonny Belwani. We have those text messages. We have a lot more in the podcast about those email exchanges, some of them with David Boys, who many people listening to this podcast may know is considered one of the top attorneys in the country. He represented Vice President Al Gore. He was a key component of the gay marriage debate. He also was a representative for a long time of Harvey Weinstein. So his role inside of Theranos was a very important one in that he was both the company's counsel as well as a board member. And he and Elizabeth had a complicated relationship in the eyes of the law in that In many ways, he really helped Elizabeth establish herself with the press. He, according to the depositions in the SEC, was the one who set up that important interview with Fortune, with Roger Parloff, which was really the coming out party for Elizabeth Holmes that talked about this Theranos technology and the 200 tests it could run. He was pivotal in helping maintain and create the relationships that Elizabeth established with the press. So ultimately, 
their exchanges, the types of exchanges that they had, very important to this case. And while a lot of them are still under seal, we know that a number of them pertain to how Elizabeth was going to handle the press, regulators, and investors, how she would be communicating with those groups of people. The fall of Theranos happened in the fall of 2018. It was leading up to that point, but it was a precipitous fall in the fall of 2018. That's now about three years past. And in that time, podcasts have been done, books have been written, articles have been written, documentaries, TV shows, movies are in the works. And Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes are in some ways part of the lore of Silicon Valley. Yet we still haven't gotten to trial for Elizabeth Holmes or for Sonny Balwani. What's taken so long? I think it's hard to believe. There were people who were listening to the dropout and got to episode three or four and would send me a message and say, okay, I I still want to listen to the rest of it, but just tell me, is she in jail now? And people were assuming in the early stages of listening to the podcast that something must have happened in the aftermath. So it is, in many respects, unfulfilling for a lot of people that you don't have a lawsuit yet. We haven't gone to trial yet. The trial begins, as you said at the top of this podcast, August 31st. The issue has been twofold. One, the pandemic. Her trial was delayed three times because of the pandemic. It was delayed a fourth time for a personal reason. Elizabeth got pregnant. And in March of this year, her attorneys told the court, the same time that you're expecting to start this trial, July of 2021, is the due date of our client. Ultimately, the case got pushed to August 31st to start then to give her a month as a new mom. But the new mom aspect of all of this is certainly, this is a jury trial. It is going to come into play. She will be in the courtroom as a woman who recently gave birth. The judge Davila has provided breaks for her throughout the proceedings for her to go and spend time with her newborn baby. And so that's certainly going to be a piece of this story. And I think something for me that's wild is that there are people who I interviewed for the dropout three, four years ago who predicted that Elizabeth Holmes would either be pregnant on the stand or have just given birth to a baby. So to a lot of the people, if you listen to the original dropout, a lot of those people, and we include them in our new upcoming season, they'll tell you about their expectation and it fully coming to fruition. So it's taken some time to get to this point of of the trial actually starting. How long is it expected to last? Is this going to be a fairly short trial? Is it going to be on the longer side? What should we be thinking about in terms of that? Should we expect that we're going to get a verdict anytime soon? I don't think you'll have a verdict anytime soon. There's still obviously the chance, a slim one, but that there could be a last minute deal between Elizabeth and the government, but that's unlikely at this point. 14 weeks is the estimated timeline. Judge Davila believes that it will run from August till mid-December, and each week you'll see three days a week court in session, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And Judge Davila, one of his biggest concerns has been that this is a very data-heavy case, millions of documents involved, over 200 witnesses on the witness list, thousands of exhibits. And the biggest thing he's worried about is fatigue among jurors. So they've spread it out in a way that the hope is that jurors will 
stay engaged in the case and be able to stay focused. And also that eventually we will have a result before the year is up. You've mentioned a couple hints at prosecution or defense strategies or tactics going into the trial. Do you have a sense of what the overarching theory of the case is for the government and what the overarching theory that the defense is going to present will be? The hardest thing for the government will be intent. They have to prove that not only did Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos make gigantic grave errors that put people's lives at risk through bad tests, inaccurate information, but they they knowingly did so with the intent. So that will be the biggest, the highest hurdle for the government to clear. They will use things like the text messages, the exchanges that I mentioned where we have a lot more and they are pretty wild between Sonny and Elizabeth that really get into some of what was happening behind the scenes. There's also these exchanges that Elizabeth shares with David Boys and other legal representatives that are very key to the government's case. You have all of the data that is available in terms of inaccurate test results and the people who got inaccurate information. As far as the defense is concerned, they have used this last three years between the charges arriving and the first day of trial to give themselves optionality. They've filed so many motions and fought tooth and nail at status hearings to exclude as much information as they can from the eyes of the jury. And they have really allowed themselves to turn and pivot throughout the trial. I mentioned the puffery defense. I mentioned the mental disease or defect defense. Those are things that they've filed that look like they are intentional, that they will come up at this trial. But the reality is they, at the end of the day, have to convince this jury that Elizabeth Holmes is not this bad person that the government has to convince the jury that she set out with intent to do this thing. And so the legal experts I talked to have said the really key thing for the defense is to cut through that minutia, to cut through all the data that the jury will see, and to put Elizabeth Holmes, the human being, before them and just raise that tiny little kernel of doubt. Did she really set out to do wrong? A 14-week trial, a lot of things are going to happen between now and mid-December. And I'd love to have you back on the show to talk about uh, some of the aftermath of the trial and what happened and maybe how it aligned with our expectations today and maybe what surprises popped up. But I'll close with maybe the hardest question I, I could ask, which is, do you have any prediction for where the jury might fall or whether there might be kind of a surprise issue like a mistrial or an 11th hour plea agreement? The 11th hour plea agreement, I've talked to a lot of experts, a lot of legal experts about this, is highly unlikely at this point, both based on what her team has done so far, as well as Elizabeth's own track record as being somebody who chooses to fight, as somebody who, even in the face of staggering evidence and really bad articles and a lot of bad publicity, still went on the air and made the rounds, whoever would take her, suggesting that she's not the person that she's been made out to be and she still is running a legitimate company. In terms of Elizabeth Holmes, the person in the defense strategy, it looks like this is still going to trial. The issue you raise about 
what the outcome will be. You mentioned the jury, and that is so key here. Those 12 jurors, there will ultimately be 16 with four people who can phase in and out if necessary. But those 12 jurors, her fate, guilty or not, that's in their hands. The sentencing will ultimately be in the judge's hands. And as far as a lot of experts I've spoken to, they believe that if she's found guilty, the sentencing could be light in light of the fact that she doesn't have a track record. She this is she's a first time accused criminal. And secondly, that that baby could come into play. But this turns so much on the jury and how they interpret her. Now, people have probably heard about the jury questionnaire that the defense wanted, a 45-page, 112 questions. They really wanted to weed out people from that jury. And they have successfully. The actual juror candidate questionnaire got called down to about 28 pages, a lot fewer than it originally set out to be. But they have dismissed a lot of people. And one of the challenges will be for the defense to find people who have not heard at all about this story. And one of the challenges for the government will be to make sure that they can find really excellent jury candidates in the mix of people who have not heard this story. Because again, it was a story, as you mentioned at the very beginning, that has been highly publicized. A lot of people have heard the name Elizabeth Holmes and heard about the company Theranos. And I would actually say, and this is an aside, but in the last couple of years, I've thought a lot about Theranos and what it means in the context of the pandemic. Of course, Theranos is no longer around. It wasn't around at the start of the pandemic. It was already out of business. But I think when jurors are sitting on the stand listening to this testimony about a blood testing company where the results were inaccurate, you have to ask yourself, in light of COVID and the pandemic and the amount of testing and how ubiquitous testing has really become for most people because of the pandemic, is that going to change their view? If you got an inaccurate COVID test and thought you had COVID, how are you going to think about Another company that has nothing to do with COVID testing, but that might have been giving people inaccurate results. Our guest today has been Rebecca Jarvis, the host of the Dropout Podcast and ABC News Chief Business, Technology, and Economics Correspondent. Rebecca has joined us today to discuss the upcoming criminal trial of former Theranos founder and CEO Elizabeth Holmes, which begins Tuesday, August 31st. I'll link to Rebecca's podcast, The Dropout, in the show notes for the episode, and she will be posting new episodes as she covers the Holmes trial. Rebecca, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks so much, Andrew. I really appreciate your work and the interest, and I hope everyone will listen to the new episodes when they come August 31st. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew Jennings.